This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Brinefield Services leader, Zolandez. Check them out at zolandez.com. That's Z-E-L-A-N-D-E-Z.com. It's Joe Lowry. Welcome to another episode of the Global Lithium Podcast. Today is episode 176. My guest is Patrick Howarth from ExxonMobil. He leads the lithium team within their low carbon solution group. I consider Exxon's entry into the lithium space as a seminal moment in the future of the industry. I think it is largely unappreciated that many of Exxon's core competencies, whether it's in drilling for oil and gas or chemical production, are directly transferable to producing high-quality lithium chemicals from brine. Exxon is focusing their initial efforts in Arkansas in the smackover. They will employ direct lithium extraction, a.k.a. DLE, and plan to have their first commercial production in 2027, and by 2030, plan to be considered among the majors as far as lithium production is concerned. A broader point that I'd like to make is that Exxon's doing many, many things in decarbonization. Their low-carbon solution group is relatively new, and lithium is just one of many projects within that group. And for historical perspective, I'd like to note that Exxon actually developed the first lithium-ion battery prototype in the 1970s. If you've read my writings or listened to this podcast over the last several years, you know that I've been hoping to see a company like Exxon invest in lithium. They have the balance sheet and the technical ability to move projects forward, but rather than listen to me talk about it, without further ado, Patrick Howarth. Patrick Howarth, welcome to the Global Lithium Podcast. Thanks, Joe. We always start out with a backstory, and this episode will be no different. Yeah, so you might be able to tell from the accent, uh, I was born in England uh, a number of years ago. A uh, little, uh, little village near a town called Newcastle in the north. Uh, and then uh, I think kind of growing up in the, in the UK was, was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I spent a lot of time building things, taking things apart, putting things back together. And that kind of led me to uh, studying chemical engineering at university, which I did in Manchester. And then as I kind of lived in Manchester, got, to, got into chemical engineering, started finding out about global industries, what really got me excited was the energy space. So how a industry like energy can be embedded in so many people's lives all over the world. Uh, and really that, that opportunity to kind of go into that kind of space was, uh, was there. Um, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to apply for and get a job uh, with ExxonMobil at the time. I applied to many of the majors. And uh, yeah, luckily uh, Exxon picked me up. I, w- I really wanted to work for Exxon. It, it kind of stood out primarily because of the scale of resources that it could put to bear solving challenges. And then secondly, the people. Uh, I got the opportunity to spend a day 
uh, at our office in London as I was interviewing and just the people that were working there at the time made it a very compelling option. Since then, uh, I've had a number of different roles, mostly commercial business development type roles throughout the company, lived in a number of different places, London, Houston, London, Moscow, and, uh, and Houston. So lived and traveled all over the world as, uh, as many of us do. Uh, now uh, settled here in Houston and uh, uh, got the lithium business to, to lead. Are you a Newcastle United guy or a Manchester guy? Or let's let's get that out of the way. Yeah, so I'm I'm a Newcastle United guy. Uh, I probably haven't watched them as much as I'd uh, like to over the years. Um, kind of prefer to play it rather than uh, uh, rather than watch it. Uh, the challenge in our family right now is my wife is from Manchester and my eldest son has become a Manchester City supporter. So there's a bit of tension well, there. Let's talk about. The, the department or the area you're in, low carbon solutions, if you could just take us through broadly what that objective is, and then we'll drill down into the lithium component. Yeah. So within ExxonMobil, we've got three main business units. We've got the upstream, uh, we've got product solutions, uh, and then low carbon solutions. And low carbon solutions is the, the newest of those businesses. It was formed about uh, two and a half years ago. And it was really a, an opportunity to put together many of the low carbon activities uh, that we already had going on in the company and really put put a growth engine together within the low carbon space. So we're focused on, on lithium, but also on carbon capture, hydrogen, biofuels, uh, along with many others. The thread that ties those businesses together is really around a corporate strategy of where do we have things that we think we do well, competitive advantages that we can de- uh, deploy on these harder decarbonized sectors. Uh, we're we're really focused on on all of these businesses, looking looking at new businesses, and very committed uh, to delivering uh, to delivering those businesses. Well, in getting ready for this episode, I have spent several hours listening to Mr. Woods talk on various forums. And he said something on one of the things I listened to that cars and light trucks only contribute 10% of energy related to CO2 emissions. I should have known that, but I didn't. How does Exxon believe it's best able to uh, contribute to lowering emissions? And what do you think the main narratives are? Yeah, so we're, we're really focused on hard to decarbonize sectors. So if you look out at you know, industrial use, electrical generation, commercial transportation, et cetera, uh, and like GD transportation for that matter, there's some really hard to decarbonize sectors. And I think on a global scale, we haven't seen the level of investment that's, that's really required. So that's where we're leaning in. So if I look across the businesses that we've got within low carbon solutions, uh, we've got opportunities in the pipeline now uh, that will help enable third party emissions reduction by over 50 MTA, uh, so 50 million tons per annum uh, by 2030. So to put that into perspective, that's the equivalent of taking about 10 million ice or gasoline powered vehicles off the road every year by 2030. So that's really an area of focus. We What we see is, uh, opportunities to use what we do well within our existing business in new businesses and really focus on places that have the biggest bang for the buck uh, in terms of the hard to decarbonize sectors. Oil companies in general and Exxon in particular tend to get the rap of things you might have said 35 or 40 years ago and they just keep coming around and 
With this initiative you have, how successful or what can you do to best communicate that to the general public? It seems like a fairly large challenge. Yeah, so I, I'd say um, think about the um, the fact that we're putting our money where our mouth is when it comes to taking on some of these challenges. So our recent uh, corporate announcement was around the amount of money that we're spending between 2022 and 2027 on lower emissions businesses. And the total money that we're spending over that time period is $20 billion. $10 so, billion of that is within our existing businesses to grow them. And $10 billion of that is focused on the uh, reduction of, uh, of emissions of others and third parties. So a really big commitment from the corporation. Well, let's move the focus to the lithium area. How did Exxon go about deciding to enter what is a still a very tiny business by your standards? Yeah, uh, great question, Joe. So what we what we do at Exxon, as you'd imagine, is we, we're constantly looking at new areas uh, that may be of interest where we could think about deploying our skills and capabilities into, uh, into them to make a material difference. And over the years, we'd looked at uh, produced water and the, uh, the various elements that are in produced water. And a few years ago, that got us thinking that perhaps lithium was something that we could, uh, we could consider investing in it. So as you'd imagine, for a company of our scale, uh, we put in the work, right? So we, we went off, we looked at market fundamentals, we looked at the technology, we looked at kind of the resources around the planet and said, you know, is there, is there an opportunity for here for us to lean in and try and unlock a new resource thematic and i think what you've seen this year is the answer to that was yes we've uh, we've come out we've acquired acreage in arkansas and smackover um we're now drilling out a pretty extensive well campaign to to prove up that resource and doing a lot of work to bring those projects forward as fast as we we possibly can and what do you believe exxon's natural advantages are to the play that uh you are pursuing yeah, it's a really good question. So if I think about deep brine resources and what needs to come to bear to be able to bring them kind of commercially into production, firstly, you've got a resource angle. So you've got to know where on the planet it is. You've got to be able to find it, drill it, and produce it effectively and safely. And this is really everything that we do in the upstream, right? We drill wells every day. Uh, we drill hundreds of hundreds and thousands of wells a year. And what we, what we have there is really deep subsurface capabilities. So geoscientists, reservoir engineers, uh, drillers, who can all kind of manage that side of the business. And then you've got brine at surface. So what do you do, do with it then? Well, there's a chemical processing and refining step. And as we looked across that, um, the, those process flows, what we saw is, while we're not producing lithium today, and we're not running those process flows ourselves, what we have are engineers and scientists who work on very similar uh, process elements uh, today in different parts of our businesses. So within ExxonMobil, we've got over 2,000 PhDs on staff, some of the best and brightest engineers and scientists uh, around the planet. And so what's great in my role is I'm able to pull on, if I need someone who's, uh, who's an expert on active materials, I call them up and we get the, uh, the best of that, that input. And then I think what ExxonMobil does really well in the, the chemical processing steps is integrate and optimize. So how do you put together individual process elements uh, and make a commercial uh, operation out of them that can deliver a really high quality product reliably over decades. And so that's on the chemicals processing side. You've then got a market, which is uh, an interesting market. And I've heard you talk about it many times. Uh, and then from the marketing perspective, what Exxon brings to the table there is great reputation, 
with many of the main automakers uh, throughout the industry. We've got great uh, engagements with many of the battery manufacturers. We supply a lot of the industry and we've done it reliably over many decades. And so we've got, we built up a level of trust there with, uh, with potential customers uh, that they now reach out to us and you know, want to know how they can get their hands on, on the lithium that we're planning to produce. So that's the process flow. But then you've got some added elements that I think are really, really critical, especially at this time in the industry. So one is around major capital project execution. And we have a, a global projects organization that routinely uh, brings in uh, projects on time and on budget that are many millions of dollars. And so we see that capability being critical in the industry. And finally, we've got the balance sheet to be able to see through the volatility in the market, to be able to invest if we see, uh, if we see value. So I think it's the combination of those things that really puts us in a very unique place. Let's start from the underground up. When you look at drilling what you're doing in Arkansas for lithium, compare and contrast that with just a typical drilling for oil and gas. How yeah. is it same? How is it different? We use the same rigs. We use the same drillers. You're drilling through the same rocks. So a lot of the, the lessons that we've learned over you know, over a century of doing this, we're able to apply on these type of wells. I'll be frank and say they are um, they are lower complexity than many of the stuff that we do today. Uh, so this is uh, this is certainly an e- an easier uh, drilling campaign than we would usually do. But what we've seen already, uh, we've got our first well done. We're onto our second well now, and, we're, and what we've seen is already we're we're seeing improvements relative to kind of industry standards in the in the brine space. Uh, so we're really excited to see how that learning curve will continue with the with the with the great drilling team that we've got on the on the project. You're new to lithium, and so you have to define. Your drilling campaign will define what the resource is available to you in the smack over. Is that similar to oil and gas or are there any differences? Yeah, so there's certainly some similarities and some subtle differences. Ultimately, this is a reservoir uh, deep below the surface uh, that contains a fluid. And so in that sense, you know, many of the, the same tools and capabilities we're able to bring to bear. Uh, but there are several differences. And what we're, we're finding is, as we've got into this, we're learning uh, every day. There's something unique about kind of lithium and how lithium moves within the subsurface and how we might consider those reservoirs um, that we're able to kind of learn and get better on. Uh, and so I think this will be, this is a nascent industry right now, and you know, we'll continue to learn as we go. Well, the thing that's been said about the smack over, and I don't know if it's true or not, you can maybe you can tell me or you probably will be able to in a few months, is that the the resource is pretty homogeneic in terms of if you draw out a campaign and have a have a resource down there that the DLE that you come up with is it's not gonna have to be modified within the smack over. Is that just uh something somebody made up that i read or <laughs> would you consider that to be moving in the right direction fact wise so i think people have a have a tendency to oversimplify one of the things that we've learned over the last 100 plus years operating in oil and gas uh is that the subsurface is very complex and if i take the the smack over this is a uh, a reservoir and a, an interval within the within the subsurface that that stretches from the south of Texas up to Arkansas and then da- back down into Florida and along the way there are um, many kind of changing parameters that make uh, that make it um, kind of more attractive or less attractive for for, for potential developments. Um, what we see is uh, certainly. Uh, uh, lithium concentrations changing throughout 
you know, publicly available information would show some of the wells even within a few miles in the smack over the lithium concentration changes. So I think it's going to be um, it's going to require really the best minds in the industry to be able to figure out how to uh, how to unlock this resource. And then if I think just generally uh, across the lithium industry um, for these deep brine type resources, the risk that I think is underrepresented out there is really the subsurface uh, complexity. Uh, there's a lot of people that talk about you know, can DLE work? There's a lot of people talking about market risk, but that subsurface risk is real. Um, and it's something that we're going to spend a lot of time making sure that we can get get right. Because really at the customer side, you don't want a facility that starts up and then can't, can't produce after a couple of years time. You want to make sure that you can produce a reliable uh, and high quality product for, for many decades to come. And what is the mechanism to determine that? Just more drilling or pumping tests or... You guys are the yeah, experts. So it's a combination of things. So obviously wells are expensive. So you want to minimize the number of wells where you can. Um, but we're, we've embarked on, uh, I think it's one of the, the largest drilling campaigns for lithium within North America, um, especially in the deep brine space. So we'll, we'll have a lot of new uh, up-to-date data with great geochemical analysis across, uh, the, across the lateral uh, and also the vertical within the, within the reservoir. But then you, you add on to that, uh, and this is really where ExxonMobil can differentiate, I think, is you take the data, but it's how you interpret that data and how the geoscientists and the reservoir engineers can in, uh, interpolate uh, and understand and integrate their kind of knowledge of salt basins around the planet and many decades of experience into how they think it's going to flow in this reservoir. And we'll certainly find out some new things as we go. Uh, but I feel pretty good that we've got one of the best teams in the industry looking at this. Well, you touched on the concentration varying. What about the impurities that you're seeing that might be a challenge to the technology you have to uh, move it forward into a chemical? Yeah, so they certainly vary. You know, we see uh, publicly, you know, bromine concentration is mapped and uh, and lithium concentration is mapped, and we're we've got some proprietary maps of some of the other uh, other impurity profiles in there. Um, ultimately, it's going to be a cost question, you know, um, for the DLE that people choose. Uh, how good is it at getting out the impurities, and then uh, what what do you need to do to purify uh, your your stream after that? Well, let's talk DLE for a second. Then I, I was going to wait until later, but it seems like such a good moment. Do you have a DLE technology picked, or is it still in process? So when you look at the process flow uh, of these type of facilities, I think people, again, tend to simplify and have it as you know, one or two block flow uh, diagram steps. Um, and I think anyone who's been around the industry for, for even a little bit of time knows it's significantly more complex than that. And so what we're looking at, as you'd expect, is for each of those process steps, what's the right technology uh, vendor package um, and how do those then integrate together? Because there's a lot of people that will sell you one part of the process, but really integrating that all into a whole is is going to be where some of the, the capability and expertise lies. So to answer your question, uh, originally, we're in the process of selecting a DLE vendor. We've done some pretty extensive pilots um, at our facilities over the last um, months and years. And so we're, we're, we're rapidly approaching that selection choice. We've talked about the underground. Now we've talked about the the DLE. Once you have the solution that's going to go into your plant, how do you evaluate the difficulty in making a battery quality lithium chemical? What of your Exxon chemical experiences as a corporation? 
can you bring to bear to uh, doing this quickly? Yeah, so I, I'd say probably the the most important thing is a little bit of humility, right? A knowledge that this is not easy. Now, as we look around the industry, what we see is people struggling to get on production on time, to ramp up on time, and to get the quality spec uh, on time. Uh, and so we're 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 kind of going in eyes open. We know it's hard, and we know people have uh, have struggled along the way. Um, there's certainly things that we we feel that we can bring to bear from from some of our existing operations. I think um, having folk that are running facilities day in, day out, knowing the, the nuances of those is, is really valuable. Um, but we, we fully expect this to, to be a difficult uh, proposition. I think, I think that was a, <laughs> a good analysis. So maybe a question for you. Uh, it seems like a good time. So when I look across the industry and I've you know, listened to these podcasts for you know, over a couple of years now, um, I'd say there's a theme within the industry of, uh, projects coming in over budget, um, late. Kind of, what? Why do you think that happens within the industry? Is it is it something unique to lithium, or is it um, kind of the operations that they've got, the locations? You know, can you shed any light on that? I would say it boils down to problems that you don't have, and that would be if you look at the projects over the last five to seven years. It's normally junior companies that had to raise a lot of money, that had to make promises to investors to entice them in, that they get partway down the road and realize this is a lot harder than the engineering company that they hired said. And yeah. I would challenge anybody listening to this podcast to give me an example of any lithium chemical project that was on time, ever. And I still think the industry is... Oh, for whatever. And, you know, maybe you guys are the first guys to uh, throw a number uh, right. out there at 2027 and be on time. We'll, we'll we're, see. We're going to book, we're going to book the podcast now. <laughs> 2027 this time, December, 2027. Let's have, uh, let's have the podcast and see how we. I said this on a podcast that was released this morning in Australia that. The money of minds guys. Yeah. yeah. It was like, We've been praying Exxon would get into this business, or some of us have for a long time. So I, I think this is a seminal moment in the industry because of, as your CEO likes to say, the capabilities that you've built up over the decades, bringing to bear on difficult problems and the fact that you have a balance sheet that doesn't force you to say things ahead of time just to get the next $100 million in or the next investor in. So yeah, I like I said, I do not believe you have the issues that have caused the poor performance. And honestly, because of decades of project experience, I don't think you're going to underestimate cost as we've seen many others do. So yeah, there's a lot of PFSs and DFSs out there that are pretty optimistic. The whole junior psychology of fundraising and touting projects uh, was foreign to me when I when I left what's now live and started doing what I'm doing today. Yeah, I, I I just don't think that the whole being late and being over budget is something that we would expect out of you. So certainly 2027, we will. Okay. If, if 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 Margo is still there, she can <laughs> be the be the woman behind the iPad. Zoandes offers technology and services that support both direct lithium extraction and conventional evaporation ponds. Minimize the environmental impact of your lithium site 
through Zalanda's data-driven insights and tailored solutions for each extraction method. Go to zalandas.com for more information. That's Z-E-L-A-N-D-E-Z.com. As you look at this, now that you're in process, what has surprised you about trying to do lithium? What's the biggest surprise in applying Exxon's skill sets and capital into this industry? Yeah, I think that's a a great question. I think there's a few things that have been um, eye-opening uh, as we go into space. And I think, you know, obviously we acquired the acreage in uh, uh, in Arkansas. I think as I've looked around the industry and I'm kind of used to evaluating oil and gas uh, pursuits, I think the, the whole PFS and DFS and PEA and uh, all of those processes, that's been the biggest eye-opener for us because you, you kind of read through those and you know, they're signed off, but they're, um, they're, they're, there's definitely some different ways to interpret the, the information that, that's in there. So that's been, I think, a, a challenge for us to understand and to kind of see behind the curtain of what, what they all mean. Um, I think after that, uh, really, it's um, there's not been a big aha moment. There's just been a lot of deep, hard work by a great team to go figure out um, where we need to apply and lean in, right? And so there's certain parts of the process flow that we feel really confident about, and so there's parts that we we feel like we need to do a lot more work on. And I think what we're what we're doing is we're just, as you'd expect from a company of our size, we're taking a very methodical approach to understanding the risks and make sure we're uh, we're investing to uh, to mitigate those risks uh, where we can. And I think it's important to say that we we know this is going to be hard. There isn't a commercial scale project on the planet today that's doing what we're talking about doing and so i think we're going in with the full recognition that this is a hard challenge but you know taking you back to that first question you asked the reason why i joined exxon was to take on you know the world's toughest challenges and to try and bring the resources of a, of a large corporate to bear and so i think it's a really exciting really exciting space for a company like us to lean into uh, to to this sector how do you view the great state of arkansas as a jurisdiction to try to accomplish what you're doing? So I visited Arkansas before I got interested in lithium. And so I took the family up there and we had a really wonderful vacation in in Hot Springs before I got into lithium. And then since then, we've taken them back. I actually did an RV trip this year and kind of went around uh, all the state parks. So at a kind of base level, it's a wonderful place to visit. So I'd encourage any of the listeners, you know, add it to your list. There's some beautiful scenery. There's some, there's some great places to go visit. Then when I kind of getting onto lithium, I think obviously it's blessed with, uh, with a great resource, right? It's probably the, the breast deep brine resource uh, in North America today. And what we, what we see there is um, a really strong show of support throughout the state. So from, local community engagement at the uh, at the town level so we're we're pretty close to magnolia and so we've seen great support from the people of magnolia so far certainly some questions about how this development could occur and how it how it can impact them but really strong support for the jobs and the economic uh, impact that it can provide and then as you go up through the regulator um and i'll come come back and talk about the regulator in a second and uh, and up to the you know as high as the governor within the state really really strong support for the the, the jobs that can be created uh, and really wanting to put arkansas on the map as you know, the lithium capital of north america which would be a uh, a pretty crowning achievement so then the regulator and what's what's great about 
the Arkansas uh, oil and gas regulator who happens to regulate brine, they've got a ton of experience in this. They've been regulating brine operations in the bromine industry for over 50 years. So they know where the risks are, they know where to lean in, and they know where uh, to enable business to, to, to get on with it. So when we look at permitting, uh, the permitting timelines are significantly shorter than many of the hard rock projects that you you talk about, many of the, the shallow biome projects, because they're so used to dealing with it. So, you know, we've got a team kind of working through our permitting process right now. You know, wells are relatively easy to permit. We're looking at how we would permit the the large scale development. Just as an aside on that part of it, do they have a royalty structure in place for lithium yet? Uh, good question. So it's uh, it's it's under development. There was a recent hearing that that, that got delayed. So uh, I know Standard Lithium they're they're looking to line up the uh, the royalty on their first uh, first project. Um, the the can got kicked into uh, into twenty twenty four, and uh, we're watching that with bated breath. And we'll we'll obviously look to uh, get ours locked up uh, at the appropriate time. Yeah, I wouldn't expect that it's going to be a a problem to have a reasonable. I think they I think the state wants it to happen. And I actually have talked to some of the commission guys in the past just on kind of how the industry works. So it's it seems like a reasonable bunch. But I did not I was not aware if anything had been decided. All right. You have a stated ambition, which was reinforced by Mr. Woods this week of being a major lithium supplier by 2030. What does major lithium supplier mean to you? And I will continue the question with a factoid that you would have to produce 100,000 tons in 2030 to be in the top five. So maybe if I start with what um, what we what we stated when we announced. So firstly, it's you know an ambition is to supply enough lithium to uh, supply a million EVs by 2030, right? And so there's a lot of assumptions that can that can go into that. But when I think about that, what I really what I what I'd really want to communicate is that that's multi-project potential. This isn't about just one abstract project uh, in South Arkansas. What this is about is um, an acreage position that we've got that we think can support multiple projects and the resource delineation appraisal program that we've got going on with our current well campaign. That will give us a sense of really the true scale of, uh, of how big it could be. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of things uh, to, to weigh up into that decision. Well, this isn't a gotcha question, but we can back into a number. When you are looking at EVs, how big a battery did these million EVs have? Yeah, so I mean, I think we'll leave that for the time being. I think... Um, uh, we announced this earlier than we probably would have otherwise. Um, and what we wanted to do is really c- show our commitment to taking action. Um, we started the well campaign. Um, we really want to move fast to be able to bring this uh, bring this lithium to market. Uh, the world and North America urgently needs a lot more lithium. And so we thought it was really prudent of ourselves to get out ahead of that, to really show tangible progress within the development that we're we're looking at and as the results come in from that well program we'll have a much better idea about exactly what production level uh, could be at different points in the future and for the listener if you haven't already done the math on the back of a napkin if you're going to do a million evs and it has a 60 kilowatt hour battery you're basically talking about 48 kilograms of lce in that battery and you can do the math yourself so we're talking 
to make that number with reasonable parameters, you're talking about roughly a 50,000 ton business in 2030. And that seems reasonable to me based on if you get started in 2027 and you uh, start moving it forward. Actually, I think you can probably do better than that, guys. Come on. I I don't want to tell you what your ambition should be, but um, I have a lot of faith in Exxon. So, um, hey, hey, Jim, if you, if you allow me, maybe a, a little question here. So kind of what's the reaction been within the industry about our entry? Um, kind of how have people that you talk, I mean, you talk to almost everyone in the industry. What's been the feedback? Oh, I, I was texting a CEO of a major lithium company 10 minutes before you got on this call. And he said he could not be happier that you're in this business because of your balance sheet, complementary skill sets. The negativity I get is people who get on my website and say, hey, Exxon tried to do algae and they screwed that up. Why? You know, I mean, you've got a lot of naysayers out there just because you're an oil company. But I think the lithium industry, people that are really in the lithium industry are glad you're here. And that's okay. I think that's the, the the best statement that I can make. It, that's the way I feel. And pe- the naysayers are people, one, that aren't really in the industry. They just like to talk about it. When somebody brought up algae, I said, really? That's your play? I mean, why don't we talk about who's been <laughs> drilling wells and producing out of wells uh, for, I don't, I don't know, like we go back to John D. Rockefeller and I grew up not too far from Oil City, Pennsylvania. So it, I think that 1860 something, if, uh, yeah. if, if I got that right. No, I do think that the people that you would care about, and if you look at battery guys and you've previously talked about relationships with, um, the OEMs. Your market cap yesterday was 28 times what the largest lithium company in the Western Hemispheres is. So that gives you some relative idea of what you bring to bear. Uh, and, and I think it's it's appreciated. Yeah, and we've been really pleasantly surprised. You know, I've, I've been coming to conferences for a while now um, in, the, in the space. And I think especially before and then certainly post the announcement, we've We've been uh, welcomed by many, uh, many companies with open arms. So obviously there's companies that would like to sell us all the different technology and uh, that's to be expected. But but actually some of the, the big producers, I think they see the, the value of, uh, of having a company like us come in uh, and really try, try to spearhead this new resource thematic that, that everyone's trying to, uh, to see how it can work and, uh, and how it can supply that, that lithium that we all need. And, and then on the customer side, you know, what we have seen is uh, really great support for for what we're trying to bring forward, uh, which is you know at its heart a domestic source of really low carbon, great ESG footprint lithium. Uh, and we've uh, yeah our, our phone's been ringing off the hook, so it's been yeah really great to see. We feel very welcome in the industry and uh, looking forward to learning with everyone else as we uh, as we move this forward. Well, admittedly, the long journey begins with a single step, and you're kind of in that part of the journey right now. But if you take a longer term view, where do you see that Exxon could take this geographically? How big a business within Exxon could lithium and tangential businesses be? Yeah, so I think it all depends on 
uh, some fundamentals. There's some kind of technology and cost fundamentals. There's some market fundamentals, and if those those all play out, and you know, ultimately we're we're responsible to our shareholders for delivering returns, and if the returns are there, we'll, um, we'll I certainly will kind of bring opportunities forward to lean into the space, and then our our, our leadership will make the decision. But I, I think when I look across that landscape. Uh, if you take a long-term kind of macro view of market fundamentals, I think if you think of getting some really bright engineers and scientists into the uh, how do we bring DLE to bear um, as efficiently as possible, you know, with the lowest uh, environmental footprint and the lowest cost profile possible, I think if you can do that, it sets us up for a, a really a leading position within the within the industry. Uh, there's a lot of water that will go under the bridge before we get there, but we're uh, we're, we're really excited about it. I have to ask you this question because my largest audience is in Australia, not the United States. It's close, but since they have less than a tenth of our population, it's it's very much skewed towards Aussies. Do you have any hard rock ambitions ever? I'd take you back to why did we get into this business in the first place? And it was deep thoughts about where we have competitive advantage. Right. And for all the reasons I laid out on the pr- previous question about why we think Deep Brine is a place that we can really bring something new to the table, I would say that right now I don't anticipate us getting into hard rock mining. It's uh, it it's definitely doesn't have the same competitive advantage fit. Um, certainly, some of the stuff, you know, balance sheet um, would would play capital project execution, but we're not a hard rock mining company. At our heart, we uh, we produce fluids from from beneath the surface of the earth, and we transform them into molecules that that help the societies where we operate around the planet. So, having a fair sense of how big companies look at getting into new things, the process that you went through to determine that given lithium a go makes sense when you looked at that where did you feel that you had to be from a production from a cost curve perspective to make this viable for you so i think two things there so you mentioned cost curve i think that's important i can talk about that and then one is around scale Right. So we're a big company and, you know, those those 2000 PhDs that I talked about, 2000 plus PhDs, you know, they've got a lot of other things to think about. And so for for, for a company like ExxonMobil, we're, we're very focused on prioritizing resource allocation, both from a capital perspective and from a, from a, a human resource perspective. And so, you know, we need to see the scale within this business to be able to to warrant putting our time and money to bear. We think we think that's a available, um, especially as the market grows into the future. And we take you know, a multi-decade investment timeline with, with most of our assets around the world. Uh, so it's on that time frame uh, that I'm talking. And then I think from a cost curve perspective, I think one unique aspect about the lithium industry is you've got this combination of hard rock, which is low capex and pretty high opex, and then uh, some of the brine assets that, that are slightly higher um, capex, uh, but but much lower opex, and I think that will be a really interesting dynamic uh, to see to see how it plays out over time. Ultimately, we know markets are cyclical. We know there's ups and downs, and so um, any opportunities that, that that I bring forward for investment need to be competitive throughout that cycle. Um, and we'll we will do the work to make sure that that anything that we bring forward is competitive. But I'd, uh, I might turn this one around to you as well, which is you know how do you see the cost curve playing out? You know, it's it, it has a certain shape today. You know, what does it look like 2030 winners and losers along the way? 
I think the cost curve has steepened mightily in the last 18 months because of lipidolite and because of just the complexity of trying to make something that may be 0.29 instead of 1.0 or 1.25 with high strip ratios and environmental nasties in the in the soup that results from the process. So you've had that change. If you looked at the cost curve three years ago, you would have looked at what spodumene selling for, multiply it by a, add the conversion cost of what the incremental uh, converter in China could do. And that was the high end of the cost curve. I can't tell you what the spodumene price is going to be next week or next year, but I can tell you that the cost curve is going to be elevated into the probably mid-20s to high-20s if some of the people that are projecting four or 500,000 tons of lipidolite being part of the supply. Uh, so that's great news for you because it doesn't matter if you have hiccups from your plan. Brine assets are always going to be lower cost than something like a lipidolite or a DSO that's coming out of Africa. I think the cost curve is steepened. And I think if you're successful in doing what you're doing, uh, you're going to bring the brine hard rock ratio back into a brine's going to go over 50%. And, you know, if you go back 10 years, there was one hard rock mine operating in the world that meant anything. And that was green bushes. And every, you know, everybody else said, well, that's, that's because it's green bushes but every brine asset that's currently operating is lower cost to carbonate than any harder. So if you have to pick between brine and hard rock for the future, you're on the right side. <laughs> a long answer to a short question. <laughs> that was a good answer. Yeah, we definitely appreciate your insights. This episode is also brought to you by Mississippi Lime, your innovation partner, for solutions related to lime and calcium in your critical mineral processes. Visit lime4lithium.com. That's L-I-M-E, the number four, L-I-T-H-I-U-M dot com. When you look out, it I think you're... Exxon's publicly said expecting the market to grow around 4x to 2030. Uh, I always talk about it being 10x from 2020, but those numbers are relatively consistent. So how are you viewing the supply and demand balance? And that's going to lead into the price question. You can take them separately or you can take them together. Yeah, so, so, so sure. So Let's take uh, supply demand. So I think the, the the way I'd describe this is what you when you look at supply and demand, you see some pretty macro factors driving EV adoption, and so um, we think that's a the, thematic play that will continue out into the future. When you get to specific supply demand balance in different years, I think everyone's supply outlook today will be wrong, and everyone's demand outlook today will be wrong, and over time we'll figure out who was closer and who's not. So I think really it's about how those supply and demand sources come on um, over time that will drive the, the supply demand balance. You know, what, we, what is clear that you know, in, a, in almost any uh, demand outlook, you need a lot more lithium than you've got today. 
And there's many projects around the world that are being announced and the best ones should get funded and uh, the rest uh, probably won't. And you know, market factors will, will, will play out. And so that's, uh, that's why it's exciting to be in a, in a resource extraction industry. Having worked in the economic planning and analysis group in an oil company in Houston many, many, many years ago, the next question is, how many price decks did you run when you were modeling the future of lithium at Exxon? Yeah, as you can imagine, and uh, I'm going to apologize because I think that's uh, I've done that kind of job before, and it's a uh, it's a hard job to do. So uh, I imagine it was a it was a tough one. Uh, so as you can imagine, like we we look at things uh, in many different ways. Um, I think really it comes down to uh, to fundamentals and, uh, and taking a view on long term uh, demand and supply considerations, uh, and then really how we uh, as a company could fit within that. And so we feel pretty good about what we can bring to bear to bring that new lithium to market. We think it's a we think we've got a really strong story about what we're trying to do. We think we were sitting on a great resource on, on our acreage in Arkansas, and we're we're excited about what else we could do um, if we're successful there. How was the lithium team put together at Exxon? It's a great question. So the lithium team has formed over a, uh, a reasonably long period of time, right? And I, I'd say it started off with uh, a number of people, um, Lisa, Lisa Emerson, Jason Iwanaka, who, who, who kind of had some ideas early on. Um, and we kind of uh, we formed a, a small group of, of interested parties that that were toying with the idea and seeing how it could could make it work. And I think when you work at a big company with a lot of resources, um, you, you're not in short supply of ideas, but you're in short supply of really great ideas. And so what we do a lot internally is really test ourselves. So why could the idea not work? What what are what are we missing? And so what we've done over uh, over recent years is bring together what we feel have really the best and the brightest from around the company to, to challenge ourselves. Are we missing something in the technology space? Are we missing something in the subsurface? You know, what's the scale of the problem that we've got to go solve? And so we've, we've organically grown the team um, internally over the last uh, last couple of years. I think I've got one of the best teams in the industry. And I know there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to the call who says no, but um, we might not know everything there is to know about every aspect of the lithium industry today. Uh, but we ha- what we have is some incredibly bright, collaborative people that are able to integrate skills, capabilities, and knowledge from across the corporation from, and pull on those you know, decades, centuries of experience uh, to solve problems, and we're trying to do it really fast, and that's what's what's truly exciting. ExxonMobil is a big ship, and at times we can move slowly, but but what I think we're trying to show within lithium and within low carbon solutions is our ability to move at pace and deliver projects that are urgently needed, and so that's the the really exciting thing about the team right now. And how is the lithium team viewed within Exxon? You you have a huge organization with a proud history, and lithium is kind of a an oddball thing. So I don't think it's an oddball thing. I, I describe it as a, a very credible low-carbon business line uh, that's within our low-carbon solutions uh, uh, business. The great thing about ExxonMobil is in any other business, this would be the shining star of the, uh, of the company. But as I talk to people around the company, 
there's some incredible bright spots, whether it's in our chemicals business in product solutions, whether it's in our upstream with new new projects we're bringing to bear or across LCS, we've got some really exciting work that's going on. So yeah, lithium certainly viewed with some excitement. It's a it's a new foray for the for the corporation, but there's a lot of other exciting work to do within the company. And so that that's what's great about working with this this type of company. Let me clarify the oddball comment. It's not a pejorative. It's just lithium is not well understood. I would say that based on what you know today with what you'll know at this time next year, you will look back and think, I can't believe I didn't know that about this business. And it's people will call it opaque. I I think that historically has been true. I think there's a a lot of efforts to uh, make things clearer. And I think where we are right now is probably... I don't think the industry's ever been more confused than it is today about how price works or where it's going to go. But you don't have to worry about any of those things as a brine guy with a big balance sheet that is is probably going to, I don't know exactly where you'll sit on the cost curve, but it will be on the left-hand side. So I've been in this business now since 1990 yeah. and I and I chose to stay. I turned down many jobs to move out into other businesses and was counseled that it was a huge mistake, but I had a fundamental belief that of where this was going. And I was talking, I I sat in Sony's office in 1995 talking about EVs. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think the thing that really excites me about the industry is the the pace of learning. Um, I've kind of coined a phrase of lithium years. It's like dog years, right? You you know, you look back and see what we've done in the last 10 months, and it feels like we've been doing it for four or five years because of the race, race, uh, the rate of learning that we've had, the the pace of trying new things, understanding, figuring out a problem, getting to a solution. Uh, and that's what makes it a really exciting place to work, both in an industry and within the corporation. As we wind this down, what didn't I ask you? that is a glaring miss on my part that I should have asked you? So I think the one thing that I'd want to emphasize or maybe get your opinions on is the environmental footprint. So when I think of the energy transition, I think of um, really driving at carbon intensity and some of the other ESG metrics. And I think DLE has, a, has an incredible role to play. As we've looked at this, we think DLE is, uh, you know, has the ability with the right kind of optimized process flow to be yeah, best in class uh, from a from an ESG footprint. Um, you know, even on optimized basis, it's you know, two thirds of the carbon intensity of a mining operation. So, really interested in your thoughts on on how that dynamic plays out uh, within an energy transition business. You know, are people ready to pay for lower carbon intensity yet? You know, give it give us your thoughts on that. I don't think green premiums happen anytime soon. Honestly. I don't think that really matters to you. The point that I would make is that what you're doing is crucial because to me, the real promise of DLE isn't in South America because you can't build a pond system in Arkansas. You have to have DLE to do, to get where you want to go. You have to have DLE. So DLE is going to unlock so much resource and I mean, that's the question I was asked by the Money of Mine guys was, well, if these guys are successful, what happens to Hard Rock? And I said, well, you're good for a good long while because the need is so great that 
the best hard rock stays. What gets eliminated is the lapidolites of the world in a in a scenario where you're very successful. And then, you know, let me let me just take a step back and ask you about your views on DLE on the kind of brine you're drilling for in Arkansas versus trying to do something in Western Canada with oil field brines or something like that. When you look at your opportunities, you're starting with the highest lithium containing solution you can get. But do you see ultimate DLE success for you as broadening to the less than 100 ppm type of feed? Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd put a cutoff on it uh, right now. But I think, you know, unlocking DLE and proving that this can be done on a commercial scale, like we said, is going to be a hard challenge. But if we can do that, then I think the uh, the ability for a company like ours to move that to different basins, to different jurisdictions around the world, to unlock new and attractive resources is certainly there. So I'd fully expect us to, you know, if we're successful in Arkansas, to keep uh, to keep deploying that technology elsewhere. Okay, Patrick, then putting you on the spot, what is your confidence level that you are able to unlock DLE? So I'm going to channel uh, my inner Stanley Whittingham. <laughs> so I recently met him for, and interviewed him, uh, which was a wonderful experience. You know, Nobel laureate invented the lithium ion battery along with a, a number of others. Uh, and I'm going to use the tagline that he he left us with, which is, anyone can do it, ExxonMobil can. So I'm I'm going to bet on us. I'm going to bet on the company, but there's, there's certainly a, a hard journey ahead of us. And I was very appreciative. You actually introduced me to Stanley Whittingham in LA. Yeah. <laughs> and you were surprised I didn't know him, but, you know, he he was gone really before I started and now he's I'm I'm really glad to see that the the, the original pioneers are are getting their due and you know I think it's important because I I still think even though I've said it a lot of times on the podcast that there isn't a lack of appreciation that Exxon was the originator of the lithium-ion battery I think it's either 76 or 77 at the Chicago Auto Show where they had the first uh yeah know, first he, appearance he's, a, he's just a phenomenal gentleman you know he's um, he's in his 80s and having him walk around his lab show me how they make the batteries and kind of i mean he's in the business and yeah i think if i could look out a number of years and kind of if i'm doing anything close to what he's doing uh, when i'm his age uh, i think that'll be a life well lived okay if we have exhausted any extra comments you wanted to make i am going to move to rapid fire all right, here it goes. <laughs> Last book you read? Uh, Volt Rush, based Favorite, on your recommendation, actually. Yeah. Favorite word in any language? Good question. Empathy. I think it's really important. I think the people-to-people -people interaction and understanding people is, is more critical in business than most people give it credit for. Favorite movie? Uh, I don't get a lot of time to watch movies when i do it's on a plane and it's it's probably some action movie i uh, i thought about this because you asked this a lot but I, I really like ronin it's got a really good car chase it's an old french movie from back in the late 90s who was in that i don't know i'm, I'm that, pretty bad with names okay was that de niro ronin ronin master of samurai filmed in montreal i think okay we'll we'll look that up Favorite sports team we may have covered, but I don't know that you're not a closet uh, American football fan. 
yeah, I like uh, I like college football. Um, just by friends I made when I first moved over here. UT is probably my college football team. Wow. Uh, I d- I don't watch them as much as I uh, uh, as I probably should. Um, Newcastle United would be my kind of favorite soccer team, uh, as you guys call it. But but I'm more of a national team kind of guy. So I really, you know, what England does in rugby, what England does in soccer, I'm, uh, I'm always passionate about that. I can't believe somebody working for an oil company in Houston said UT and not a and that's, that's a head scratcher. It's, it's, it's a pretty divisive topic here. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it is. Camps. And if you could have a billboard a saying on a billboard that everybody on earth could see and understand it in their own language. What would you want to communicate on this billboard? So when you walk into our house, there's a poster up on the wall, which comes from my, uh, one of my favorite books. And the phrase is life is difficult, but you are loved. And I think that's a really nice sentiment to, uh, it's what I try and encourage the kids to think about. Uh, and I think it's a really positive story that I'd like to get out there. And just give a hello to the, I, I read your LinkedIn post about the ropes course, which may, oh, yeah. have, may have been from three years ago. I don't know. Um, but say hello to your brave young rope course climber. Yeah, I was uh, before this this morning, I was uh, actually at a school and uh, and talking about what we're doing in the lithium space and communications. And it, it's great to see kids grow up and kind of they're just sponges and soak it all in. So, so cool. All right, Patrick, thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. It's uh, it's a pleasure. And look, I've, uh, ever since I've been thinking about this industry, I've been listening to your podcast. So thanks for having me on. It's uh, uh, It's been an ambition for a while now. So it's great to talk to you. Well, it's great to have Exxon on the podcast. It actually means a lot to people that we're getting the, we're getting the word out. Yeah. So thank you. And remember, we've got a date for December 2027. <laughs> I'm going to come back and we're going to, I'm going to show you around the plant. Then. I'm game. An interesting episode. I like Exxon's combination of confidence in their technical skills understanding of where their existing competencies play well with what they're trying to do with Brian, yet being humble enough to know that this is not going to be easy and respecting the task at hand. I see more humility in Exxon with respect to bringing in their assets online than I do with many juniors who, quite frankly, are often not up to the task. Huge energy companies like Exxon should be welcomed into the lithium world. And I, for one, am very happy that they are moving down the path in the smackover. As we move towards the end of the year and the Christmas season, I'd like to make a suggestion. Most of the people that are listening to this podcast are in the top portion of the economic strata. You have done well, while many of those you see in your day-to-day life haven't. I'm not telling you what to do with your money. I am just suggesting that in the Christmas season, whether you're Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, agnostic, or atheist, it doesn't really matter. In your day-to-day life, all you have to do is look around and you will see needs that aren't being met. You're in a position to make somebody's life better by either contributing to a food bank or 
just looking somebody on the street who is obviously downtrodden in the eye and showing them respect as a human being. I don't really want to get on a soapbox here, but this is something I feel strongly about. Whether you're in Charlotte or Perth or somewhere in between, there are plenty of opportunities to give, and I would urge you in the coming weeks to do so. You'll feel better about yourself, and you'll be helping someone in need. Thanks again for listening.